0: Blog Talk Radio. better world this is your host Mitchell J Rabin and I'm very glad you're joining us again today Uh, today we're going to have another very interesting show we are this time this week going to spend the hour with dr. Kurt Johnson Kurt is a very dear old friend of mine and is a man in himself rather extraordinary and making a wonderful gift to the planet major contribution and I want to go over some of that with you before we launch in with Kurt directly. Uh, First of all, those of you who listen with any regularity, I want to wish you all, everybody, a very joyous holiday season no matter which or if you practice all the different religions or just enjoy all of the holidays the way I do. So just give me a holiday and a chance to celebrate and uh there I am you could expect me on the spot in fact we had a wonderful uh, Mayan calendar event here on December 21st with uh, a group of friends welcoming that energy into our planet and living room and uh then we had out of that before that i should say was hanukkah and then um you know christmas so we're um an all purpose celebrator here at A Better World. And those of you who aren't yet part of our newsletter, please join us at www.abetterworld.tv That's a betterworld.tv, And know that you can listen to this show from that very same website as well as by calling in at 602 753 1860 if that's easier for you. Many people do it 602 Seven five three eighteen sixty. So today, I feel that the subject at hand is something very, very pertinent to the kinds of views we seek to put forward here at A Better World. They are integral in nature. They are holistic in nature. And here we're going to be speaking with uh, one of the authors of a newly launched book. The Coming Interspiritual Age, Dr. Kurt Johnson. Kurt is the co-author of that book and has co-written with the editorial director of Namaste Publishing, this book, and also it's been published by uh, the same press, Namaste Publishing, as has published Eckhart Tolle and Michael Brown, as well as many other luminaries. Kurt occupies a very interesting place, because on one hand, he has a background in science, in entomology, and evolutionary biology, in which he holds a PhD, but he has also been the um, initiated, I should say, into three different spiritual traditions. He's been a Christian monk for many years. He's been involved in the Advaita tradition. And he has also, again, wearing his scientific cap, been the co-author of the best-selling Nabokov's Blues and with Steve Coates' The New York Times, of The New York Times, I'm so sorry, which was a top ten book in, not, in science in the year 2000. As a combination of these different traditions, both scientific and spiritual slash religious Kurt has evolved, no pun intended, a perspective that is very rich in helping us understand the role and dynamics of spiritual thinking and spiritual leaders as we move on into our future uh, in a global society that is really very, very complicated and becoming more and more complex with the passage of time. What with our looming environmental issues of climate change, of global warming, of the squeeze on natural resources, on the role of Wall Street and money, and the role, you could say, of greed, which has just got a stranglehold on the next of virtually every society right now, no matter how indigenous and traditional they have been to date, they are all feeling the pressure of the global marketplace and the decisions being made, you could say, by the 1% a la the Occupy Movement um, kind of motif. So to get some grounding in the moral ethical, religious, and, you know, in essence, spiritual role to play in our increasingly complex political, socioeconomic world is of great importance, and that's what a lot of Kurt's work is all about. So, Kurt, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. So you can hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Sounds good. All right. Yes. Excellent. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, I'm so glad you're joining, and I I laid out a little bit of the kind of subjects that you explore, and I, I think that they're just so important, Kurt, because it's almost like we're surrounded by wealth, and yet we are starving on the level of the soul. And uh, I feel that your book and work in general has helped to give us some rudder, some navigation about how there can be an interrelationship between the driving forces in our society, often militaristic in nature and certainly economic at base, and understanding the richness and the blossoms of our wisdom traditions that have been with us all along. What would be your uh, your comment on that on that kind of larger picture?
1: Well, you did a great job of of laying out the uh, predicament and the conundrum that we're in. And as you said, um, this book, The Coming Inner Spiritual Age, is actually aimed at tracing and talking about all the threads that are involved in either the positive direction toward a global future or a negative direction toward a global future. And one of the contexts of that is, uh, I'm sure that everybody on this uh, broadcast is familiar with uh, Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, laid out the vision in an inspiring way of what a healthy, globalized planet would look like. So one of the things that Namaste was asking us to do, and by us I mean David Ord and myself with this new book, was You're to, to kind of do, yeah, kind of do what Paul Hawken had done in Blessed Unrest, where he laid out all the data that would show how much of these trendings are unden- undeniably true and which way are they tending. Are they tending positive? Are they tending negative? And so really what we have is all of the data that would support this vision of what a globalized world could look like in a positive direction and not a negative or pathological direction. Now, as you just said, the the, the conundrum that we're in is that globalization and multiculturalism are inevitable. Globalization and multiculturalism are going to occur – whether they occur with a a happy ending for humankind or they occur with an increasingly pathological and negative future for humankind. And as you Mm -hmm. said, what that question boils down to is who will inform and lead the process of globalization and multiculturalism? Will it be just the politicians, just the power brokers, just the bankers, Just the people who are in a strongly egoic, competitive, kill-or-be-killed mentality. Or will the wisdom traditions, which are underneath the world's religions, but of course the world religions are also in ways part of the problem, which I'll talk about in a moment. But can the deeper moral, values-based, love-based, kindness-based message of the wisdom traditions, let's say is inculcated by the messages of the Dalai Lama or Bishop Tutu. You know,
0: uh, Kurt. Uh, just on a uh, technical level, your voice sounds like it keeps clipping at the end of each sentence, and um, I'm wondering if you could give your other line.
1: I will do that. I'll try calling attempt. you on the other line. Yep.
0: Okay. So let me do that right now. Excellent. And in the
1: meantime you, you you carry on. But that's that's what I we know. really might have a problem with. So especially yes. with the storm outside. So I'll call exactly. you right now. Exactly. Very good. All right. Sure.
0: So uh, uh Johnson will be right back with us. And uh, This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I'm so glad that you're joining us all again today. I see a number of people are calling in uh, to join by phone. That's exciting. Um, I did put that into our newsletter that the phone is a, is a totally viable good way to reach the live show and I see that people are responding. That's excellent. I'm so glad. It even looks like a call perhaps from Europe. So this is this is fun. Please join us at our website every week at www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv and this looks like Kurt is back with us. Kurt, are you there? Kurt, can you hear me? Oh my. I can't hear a word on this one. So Will we have to... Are you speaking? Aha. Okay. Well, um, unless we're going to use sign language, I think we ought to revert back and just deal with a little clipping because here we hear nothing. Nothing. Nada. Rien. Niente. So, um, so sorry to inconvenience you and all of the listeners if you would just bear with us for another moment. Because, Kurt, uh, there is no sound whatsoever coming from this phone, odd as that may sound. Yes, folks, there is a storm of brew here in New York, but certainly it shouldn't have affected us this deeply so quickly. So, um, Kurt, I would have to ask you to – yes, let's see – are you there? Are you there? Okay, it's not looking. Okay, it looks like okay. Got it. Here we go, Kurt.
1: <laughs> okay, we'll see if this is better. I've actually okay, got two hits. Yeah, okay, Well, two, two, the last one was a complete hit. strikeout. So this yeah, is no, that's really better. weird because I could hear I could hear you. So oh, I see. Yeah, That's technology. That's yeah. I've got two headsets here now. We can see w- whether one of them works better than the other. Okay, if I have fine. to, I can switch autom- automatically back and forth without, without having to redial.
0: Okay, fine. Very good. Well, this one is working a good deal better, so let's Great. carry on. Perfect. Basically, you are outlining this understanding that we all have, that we yeah. can have a positive and you could even say glorious future, what with completion of a cycle and the beginning of a new one the beginning of a new year the increased awareness um, collectively of the environmental uh, challenges to be kind about it that we are facing Uh, there is a huge disillusionment about business as usual among uh, an increasing number of people Um, the rank and file average American average European Average everyone is getting this sickening feeling in their stomach that life is not flushing out on planet Earth the way we all were raised to think it could, and want to do something about it. So, well, you uh, see
1: that see that that is the, that is the 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 principal te- fulcrum point. In other words, like I was saying before, we got cut off by the tech problems. Yes. The question is if globalization and multiculturalism are inevitable, then it's a question of what will inform that process and who will inform that process. And the urgency that you're talking about, where people now are seeing that those who have informed this process so far, who are principally coming from an egoic, competitive, out-compete, out-maneuver, Rise at the expense of someone else, that mentality, that is not going to serve a positive global future. It's not sustainable. It doesn't even make sense at a global level. So people are coming then to understand that this deeper sense of the well being of all, mutuality, egalitarianism, multi perspectival problem solving, and, and problem analysis listening to everybody, dealing with everybody's point of view as having to be an equal broker in this future is the only way that a positive global direction can go. And where they see that being informed is in the values and the ethics that underlie all the world's spiritual and religious traditions but are not necessarily what those religions right now are emphasizing. So when we talk about the integral movement and the interspiritual movement and the evolutionary consciousness movement and the interspiritual movement that is underneath what the world uh, world's great wisdom traditions are doing today, then a part of this urgency that you're pointing to is people and leaders across all of these traditions saying, hey, what the great wisdom traditions have to do is themselves move away from their own egoic, parochial, and self-serving
0: direction, oh, Yeah. which
1: worked in yes. a, a resource-rich world and worked in a world that wasn't globalized but was still parsed out in boxes, but will not work when we're in a global and multicultural setting, which is inevitable, that there's a shift that has to begin in the wisdom communities to moving their message toward their central values of love, kindness, sharing, the well-being of all. And as I was saying again before we got cut off, the kind of message that we're all familiar with in from His Holiness the Dalai Lama or Bishop Tutu or any of the other cosmological global heroes that we would cite, yes. James Goodall, we could go through the whole list of people who are saying the same thing that, a part of this shift has got to be back to the values that serve everyone and the sense of serving the well-being of everyone, or inevitably it will not work. And that urgency is what needs to inform the wisdom traditions and the religions right now to take that step. They hold that reservoir of wisdom. They hold that reservoir of Of those traditions, but so often, particularly as we see with the Vatican, even today, going after its own nuns for being too involved in social justice and economic justice instead of homophobia and whatever the other agendas of the political motivations of the Vatican might be. Again, that is not spirituality. That's religion, but it's not spirituality. And what we point out in the coming inter-spiritual age is that this distinguishing of religion from spirituality is so important and it's very simple, is that religion because it's egoic and exclusively trying to serve a certain worldview, the Jewish worldview, the Muslim worldview, the red Chinese worldview, if you look at Marxism even as a religion those are by nature exclusive and they will always choose creed over deed, they will value creed or dogma over deed. Now, a definition of spirituality that comes out of the Dalai Lama or humanism or any of, I would say, of the world's great moral leaders now is saying that spirituality understands the value of deed over creed. That spirituality is embedded in acts of kindness, acts of egalitarianism, acts of mutuality, and visioning a world from that point of view of one that would always choose deed over creed. So the founder of interspirituality, uh, Brother Wayne Teasdale, Roman Catholic writer from the from 1990s, who wrote his book actually defining this new view of what the world religions should do right on the cusp of the third millennium, literally in 1999 when he published his book that was subtitled Finding a Universal Spirituality in the World's Religions. Finding a Universal Spirituality in the world's religions, it's exactly then what he said, that this was the only viable religion for the third millennium. Because I'm sure many in the audience are not only aware, but may actually be from the constituency that has probably felt, well, the only thing that religions might do well for the world is to fade away. (laughs) Yeah, That the right. only way that religion could actually serve a positive future was to become obsolete and to become irrelevant. And that might be what happens. Yeah. Certainly, if they become and continue to be part of the problem and not part of the solution, and we exactly. certainly saw after 9-11 that they became part of the problem, Yeah, they will be rendered obsolete by history. But as Ken Wilber, as he says in his view of what he calls the conveyor belt, and also the inner spiritual world. Matthew Fox, others, people who are saying there's still this last chance, and the great Sufi leaders in the Islamic community, the same way. There's still this last chance, maybe over the next decades, for the religions of the world to turn to their roots, to turn to the reservoir of wisdom that they have about love, kindness, caring, and everyone's well-being, and begin to make that their message.
0: Well, now
1: you know. I'd so like that to. Would that would be the shift that would need to occur within the world. I religions.
0: agree. I agree. But I'd like to ask you because you've done a thorough amount of research in this book, The Coming Interspiritual Age, Kurt, and you have your finger on the pulse of what's been happening in a rather updated way in the world's religions. I'm not talking about uh, CNN, you know, um, sound bites. But, right, right. You know, um about someone was telling me the other day, it was very funny, that the Pope is uh very upset at the spreading of AIDS and of same sex marriage. But of course, coming back to the AIDS question, he says, but he likes to emphasize that condoms are completely immoral. So, you know. Anyway, yeah, when you're yeah. dealing when you're yeah. dealing with a mentality quite like that, you also understand that the – and if you, of course, look at history, you see that the role of the church, largely the Vatican and the Catholic Church, uh, has been an economic and political, political institution every bit as much as it has helped, if not actually more, than it has helped to promote, let's say, moral and spiritual um, perspectives. For its people, for its constituency. Having done the research that you have done, I'm wondering having interviewed the people that you have inside the world's main religion, what is your sense of their ability to move from being economic and political and social institutions beyond having their own self-interest in mind, and actually being able to rise to the occasion of meeting the world's true and humanity's true global needs.
1: Sure. Well, there's, there's two angles here that are both very important. And one is, what is the bigger phenomenon that is happening? The bigger phenomenon that is happening is that the religions are trying to emerge from what we call the magic mythic lens. I mean, the type of lens that would say condoms are bad, certain types of medical research are bad. There's a magic mythic lens embedded with us
0: deeply yes. from
1: our past.
0: Will bury it about the, it, yes.
1: Exactly. That sees yeah. the world in this mythological, magical way. Now, that to a great degree then has been replaced over history by the rational lens, the scientific and emerging rational lens. Now, the problem there was, is that when that transition took place after the Renaissance, that lens, the rational lens, became equally exclusive in the way that it wanted to look at reality. So, as Ken Wilber points out, where the world is trying to go now is to an integral lens in which we would understand that, yes, we have this magic mythic lens that's embedded with us. Our entire entertainment industry, all of our favorite books and movies from Star Trek to Narnia to Harry Potter is all magic mythic lens. We're still deeply attracted to that. But then we also have this rational scientific part of our culture, and the problem is that they have not synergized yet. And what's going on now, as we point out in our review of history, is that since about 1970, we've been, the world has been trying to come to an integrated lens in which our inner ways of knowing and our inner gifts from spirituality, from the world of the subjective, could be in a synergistic and positive relationship with our objective gifts, science and technology, to build a world that has to do with each and every aspect of, of what we're about. Now, this is happening, and if you look at the world's literature across all of the fields, this unification is happening. And then the other reason that it's happening is because not only is this sense of consciousness arising in most people, which instead of seeing boundaries and boxes of Jew, Muslim, Christian, gay, straight, black, is starting to see profound interconnectedness. And it's that sense of mutuality and profound interconnectedness from which we have the Arab Spring, the Catholic Spring, Occupy. All of these are outbreaks of this tendency now in consciousness and in brain mind to move of this what toward of, of this tendency and this consciousness in brain mind to move towards seeing profound interconnectedness in se- in, instead of differences. And so yes. these two yes. forces are moving, you know. They're vying against each other to try to come out with a worldview that that includes both of these aspects of who we are. Now, so that's the larger thing that's happening, and it's definitely happening. For instance, as we show, and Steven Pinker in his latest book, Better Angels of Our Nature, which was recently a bestseller, still is, does mm-hmm. the same thing that we're going toward this lens that sees unity more than it sees difference. And
0: it's breaking up a bit. I hate to say it. It's just breaking up. I uh, I couldn't hear the last thing. If you could repeat that.
1: Okay. Is this a better place with regard to signal?
0: Uh, perhaps. Yeah,
1: okay. It's it's uh, that
0: The beginning of your sentences are fine, but then that tapers off and then clips off at the end. I, I don't know if I'm the only one experiencing that
1: or the audience
0: as well, but all we can do is carry on.
1: Yeah, no no problem. Now, this might be better. I'm trying to just see where signal is better here. Um, Next time, I probably should just come into the studio. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Sure, sure, Um, sure.
1: You know, so what I was saying is that the world's trying to move then toward this integrated lens that includes both who we are internally and subjectively and who we are externally and objectively, both science and spirituality. Now. Where I was going with that, and then to address your question, not only is this understanding of unity arising just in the average person, Arab Spring, Catholic Spring, Occupy, but all of what modern science is doing now, everything that modern science is bringing to the fore, from quantum mechanics to string theory to the Higgs boson, all of these big announcements are, again, all about the fundamentally unified nature Of reality. So all of this is a convergence toward that sense of oneness.
0: The God particle, for instance.
1: Exactly, exactly. Which the God particle was about discovering the field in physics in which formlessness changes to form, in which there's the transition from nothing to something.
0: Which is exactly what the Heart Sutra in Buddhism
1: is all about. (laughs) Absolutely. absolutely. So the stage is being set at a global level for this gestalt or this zeitgeist, this sense of oneness and profound interconnectedness to overtake and replace the divisive, competitive, conflicting energies that now dominate the planet but to answer your question when you go to the leaders of some of the of all of the world's institutions you find that there are also in a division about where they're at on this um yep. on this on the
0: subject yes
1: absolutely and yep. that right now is a very ticklish and dynamic fluid mm-hmm. situation in the sense yeah. of who will rise into leadership to drive either the positive agenda or to drive the negative agenda, now that was not a mystery in our last election. If we look at how the two parties in the United states what they represented, let's say with the Republicans, you had a, at least in the primaries, let's say a dozen candidates, only one of whom said they believed in science unbelievable,
0: incredible, unbelievable. And also, I heard recently, Kurt, and maybe you would know the specifics because I seem to have lost track of it. There was a prominent, I don't know if it was theologian or actually representative of the Vatican, who has embraced some of the scientific um, discoveries being made and acknowledging that these are not contrary to religious dogma, but in alignment with including, if I'm not mistaken, the so-called extraplanetary, extraterrestrial form of life, that is, life on other planets or solar systems. You're absolutely
1: absolutely right. That's a major major breakthrough. Yeah, this is one of the paradoxes, let's say, in the Roman Catholic community, is that the Vatican Observatory has been on the cutting edge of cosmology And Catholic scholarship has been on the cutting edge of understanding the relationship of evolution in the process of who we are on this planet, very much Mm -hmm. in in step with Teilhard's original version, which was banned by the Church for so many years, but now is a cosmology that's generally accepted by the Church, at least for its biological information. They don't yet accept the idea of the cosmic Christ. Yeah. That the Christ is actually everyone, and the Christ is this emerging consciousness that it's not one person, yeah. which was p- part of Teilhard's view. Yeah. But the view of, of how the Teilhard biosphere, how the biosphere has evolved toward this Omega point or toward this point of maturation. Um, so the Catholic Church is very conflicted, and that's. Been, and if you look at Islam, I mean, my gosh, Islam is tensely divided between the fundamentalist sectors. Sure. And the moderate sectors, and yes. what most people don't realize that Islamic scholarship in most of the Muslim countries that are open societies or you know more open societies, the scholarship in Islam is extremely progressive. Mm-hmm. It's extremely progressive on these issues. So mm-hmm. this is this shows this this tension, and what really defines this time, Mitchell. What's interesting, and why this book takes on such urgency, and so many of the reviewers who've read the book talk about the urgency that it expresses, that we have very positive energies and very negative energies vying with each other to see which on a global level will emerge in informing our path to change. And when you stack up all the statistics and all the trends, you really see that it could go either way. I mean, what is amazingly startling is that yeah. this could go either way, and Americans certainly got that message when they sat at their television screens on election night and realized yeah. that this 50 percent or this 51 percent could this could go dramatically either way. Right. And what right. that would imply is a, are very very different worlds.
0: Yeah, a very different set of values. I, I agree. I'd like to bring something else to bear. First of all, I want to just let everybody know you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Raven. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a pleasure to have you all listening in, and many people listen in archive. You can do that either at abetterworld.tv. It's there as part of the permanent archive or at Blog Talk Radio directly. Either way. The door is open to you, and visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv. We're spending the hour with Dr. Kurt Johnson, evolutionary biologist, former Christian monk, invited teacher, and leads us. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say leads, Kurt, but facilitates what we call a lateral satsang on a regular basis here in New York City where a group of friends basically get together uh, regularly to go through a beautiful meditation process and then sort of a la Talking Stick uh, speak into the center about whatever is most authentically in our hearts to speak. It's almost a Quaker meeting kind of gathering in that way. Uh, Very beautiful. So I've had a chance to get to know Kurt quite well over the years, and it's really a pleasure and honor, Kurt, to have you on today's show.
1: No, my pleasure as well. And and what I wanted to say then as we follow this thread is that, and it's, it's so important now given this new, era that we seem to have moved into, post-2012 benchmark. Actually, the 2012 consciousness benchmark really is uh, one that knows historically, when we look back on this time, we'll see that this was a watershed between the two different worldviews that I'm speaking about. The worldview that emphasizes difference and conflict and winning and losing and the lens of a higher evolving part of us that sees unity, that sees profound interconnectedness, and is interested in the well-being of all, and in the in the anal- analysis and solving the problems from multiple perspectives. That would be a positive yes. global future, versus the other. And we're really at a crossroads now. What's interesting about that, because I think any of among you who followed the Barbara Marx Hubbard events. Knew that they were doing something called the Declaration of Interdependence.
0: Yes. Now it's
1: very very interesting that in they fact do we had that. Stephen
0: Dynan on the show as part of our uh, Mayan Roundtable just uh, a couple of weeks ago.
1: Absolutely. And then I was a part a partner, of the launching. With
0: Barbara Mark Hubbard. Yeah.
1: Right. And then I was a part of the of the of the launching of the Declaration of Interdependence both in Philadelphia and then in, in New York last week. But here's why Excellent. it's important. Is that what's what's emerging now Is a new set of self-evident truths If we look back at the Declaration of Independence The first paragraphs talk about The self-evident truths That had emerged in the 1700s From the mind and heart of the Renaissance And that had to do with the value of the individual And that So the value of the individual historically Changed 70 centuries of monarchy and church-state totalitarianism in the world To new experiments in participatory governance and participatory economies Now we haven't had all the rosy answers in both of those But that changed Now what's happening now That's a
0: major paradigm shift
1: Incredible. So what's and I happening, think that's what you're implying here, yes. So what's happening now, because of the way brain-mind is going toward this sense of unity and interconnectedness, is the new self-evident truths arising, arising now are about what does a collective have to look like? How does a collective have to be responsible to the members of that collective That in a collective, there are self-evident truths of equal access to resources, equal access to opportunity, equal access to the pursuit of happiness, and equal access to the possibility of a healthy we, of understanding of we, W-E, not just me anymore. That was yes. the gestalt of the Declaration yes. of Independence. But now we're moving to self-evident truths about we, Now, what's really interesting about this, Mitchell, and I bring it up because it's been the heart of everything that you've been doing so long, Mm -hmm. and we say this in uh, the coming interspiritual age, as this gestalt of we arises, which is what Arab Spring's been about, Catholic Spring, Occupy, it's all been about we, we're going to have to have the world experimenting with different ways that structures can be changed So that instead of serving just an elite, just that one little group, 1% or 2%, moving toward this rich-poor world, which will never work, what are the structures that will work for a healthy we? And a healthy we that will have both motivation for the individual to actually accomplish something Mm. so that that's not snuffed out like it was in traditional socialism, but will also have to do with the with the well-being of everyone and not just the well-being of an elite. Now, the point in that is everybody who's listening to this discussion probably can't imagine what that would look like. Mm-hmm. And when they hear that prescription, they say, oh, my gosh, that would not even be possible. But the point is that that is exactly – think of all the people that are going out to see Les Miserables now when it's out as the movie. It's sold out. Yeah. Everybody's uh-huh. going to see it. Really? That movie is about precisely when that other paradigm shifted and people could not believe that there could actually be structures that were different than kings or popes or princes. Yes. Yeah, And they right. honestly, many, many people died, even as we see in that movie, in the experiments of what another possibility might look like. Yeah. And this is precisely what's going to go on in the next decades with less violence.
0: We you hope You are hitting an important chord here, Kurt. I totally get it. The gestalt has come through. We are yeah. at a point of creating from both our experience and, in one other sense, from nothing, from the formless into an entirely new structure, a new model of governance. And we don't know what it looks like. We have no idea what's really working. Democracy, as it's being practiced here, at least in the United States, ain't working. And I'm not really sure we have a very good model of democracy anywhere, really, on the planet, you know. And so the, our form of government isn't actually serving people. It continues right. to serve the aristocracy, if you will. Yeah. And right. it, too, will have to be overturned or Mutated in some way, you are obviously um, um, implying. I want to just bring something up that reaches backwards instead of forwards, which is the indigenous model of a um, of a board of a council, wherein the elders, the wise elders, along by the way with women, the women elders were part of it. Sort of in the Iroquois nation. And, of course, interestingly, of all nations to reference, that is the basis of our Constitution and uh, Bill of Rights. As many know, Uh, Benjamin Franklin was fluent in Mohawk, and Thomas Jefferson, you know, shortly behind that. And they studied this indigenous model to be a basis of our government. And I'm wondering if it's going to be something like that. I know the teachings of the Bulgarian mystic Omran Mikhail Ivanov speaks about something he refers to as a synarchy, which essentially, yeah. it's not a monarchy. No. Right, right. But it is a group of elders that are truly evolved beings. And I think that there is something to be said for this, that are truly evolved that are truly selfless, and Joseph Campbell goes into this to some extent in speaking about the mandate of heaven archetypally, that there is a way of leadership, and in that model, it actually is still a monarchy, but it's an evolved one where the king really gets that his role is not self-aggrandizement, not egoic, but truly in service to the people, almost a la Lao the leaderless leader who is following the people from behind. What would you say about all of that?
1: Well, you know, absolutely. And see, this is what we say in our final chapters, is that just as in the post-Renaissance period, the, what emerged was a result of experimentation. Mm-hmm. And some of the experiments were more successful in others. We're going to be in a time now where we're going to know in our gut, we're going to know in our heart, Yes. The kind of world that we want, but we're going to be in this very difficult period where we can't quite imagine yet what structures could serve that so that it's not hijacked. Now, there's a whole other thread here that I want to mention is that yes. what prevents us from getting to structures that manifest our deepest desires for, you know, for 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 mutuality, for the well-being of every. Of everyone is this, is still, the species in its evolution is still in enough of an egoic framework that high ideals get hijacked by selfishness. But what's interesting, we're in a period now where there are enough people at, in the worldwide level who want something that works for everybody, and are moving out of that egoic framework that we're going to start to experiment with structures that are, are less egoic and don't move toward that hijacking. Now, where yes. those models seem to come from is from nature and from ecology, yes. where when people look at the structure of ecosystems in which they know, just that you can call it uh, synergy, but it's, it's hierarchy and holarchy. For yes. people in the audience who don't know what holarchy is, yeah. it's any horizontal structure that works by circles, by consensus, by discussion, by the equal play of, of equals and dialogue, and builds into that then the hierarchical structures that serve that holarchy. Now, if you actually Google holarchic models, you'll find you'll find hundreds of thousands of hits. Now, in the business community, where the business community is starting to understand, oh my gosh, oh, these horizontal yes. models that actually serve everyone. They work better, they're more popular, they're more productive, and yes, they actually are a new paradigm.
0: You are right on it. I want to add parenthetically here that uh, uh, another uh, colleague and friend who I've had on the show a couple of times is Horst Recklebacher, who is a leader in this domain very much. He, of course, was the founder and CEO of Aveda, which he sold to Revlon for many hundreds of millions of dollars. And his entire thinking and his last book is about exactly what you're talking about, looking to nature for the models for uh, structures for our corp- corporate life.
1: And, and particularly with regard to the world's religions, one of the things that we learn from the structure of nature is that ecosystems are extremely homogeneous and cooperative and organismic but the communities making them up don't do the same thing yes. in fact they do radically different things and yet yeah. they're still in a organismic homogeneous mutuality now what that is saying to the world That's religion... That's a great
0: word, Kurt. Organismic. I love it.
1: Organismic. Just <laughs> like the way you and I are put together. That's right. The brain does what it does. The toe does what it does. And when we're well, we're one happy yes. one happy organism. One
0: happy colony. One family. You know,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. And so the message to the world's religions is diversity does not have to go. We're not talking about unity that means unison. Mm-hmm. We're talking about diversity that's able to serve like a rich smorgasbord the same way that the communities in an ecosystem serve yes. that entire organism. Now, the only thing that's, that's prevented that so far is, A, the egoic, and, B, the magic mythic lens which wants to pick which idea of which community is right and, and which are wrong. But that is an outdated, obsolete understanding of our species. We're going to live in a future where it's not going to be a matter about who's right and who's wrong in the sense of claims about absolute truth. The test is going to be how good are we at living with each other, serving each other, loving each other, caring for each other, and realizing that we we will never, and science realizes this, Modern physics knows this is the basis of quantum mechanics. You can't choose which idea is better. The reality that's going on in the quantum field is that, in that sense, everything is true. Everything is participating. So how do you serve everything that's going on and fall out of this trap, which is actually an old magic mythic trap, of who's got the truth? We don't live in a world anymore in which there's just the truth. In fact, when you said that,
0: I, when you said magic mythic I thought you were gonna say ma- the magic trick, you know, of <laughs> either or better or worse, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're living in a world of you know, if you look at the word me yeah. and you know that we have to turn everything that in our society upside down, if you start with the M of me and turn it upside down, you end up with what we really need, which of course is we. Absolutely. So I have Absolutely. a funny feeling that the inventors of our written language had some profound understanding of both the image and the meaning. And there was a wedding that took place intrinsically between these and sound, by the way. And um, that, you know, when we would get the message, it would come in the form of a riddle, you know. No it's it's almost like a linguistic koan if you will.
1: No it it is an amazing coincidence and sometimes again as we point out in in our book when we take a look at linguistics and yes. I do want to say actually to those that are listening this is a book that is easily readable. This book was put together so that the average reader can get all of this without any problem. Some of these Beautiful. ideas sound complicated and they sound dense. But actually, in the book, they are extremely easy to understand the way that we uh, have laid them out.
0: And And I will attest to that because I understand it.
1: People that are reading this book say that it is so readily easy to understand that it almost amazes them that they're getting all this.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have a way of taking the complex, Kurt – and stepping it down into very easy to understand, digestible, uh, bite-sized pieces that I really appreciate it.
1: Well, that was the mandate, and to whatever yeah. extent we've succeeded, and you know that's great. It's I wanted to say then here's what's interesting. Then so we both agree, and I think everybody who's listening agrees that humanity is moving down these two tracks that are competing with each other. One which could have a very positive outcome. Yes. and one which could have a very negative outcome. And there's actually a branch of science, it's only about six years old now, called the cognitive science of religion, which is a branch of science that's studying all of this that's going on from the point of view of five different kinds of science, and anthropology, psychology. Mm-hmm. And the question that it asks, and this is so pivotal, basically what it says is this. Homo sapiens which is the only intelligent species on this planet now, and we're so different than any other animal on this planet, we have survived and thrived so far because when we came to these bottlenecks for the need of urgent change, we were able to make the right adaptive decision that allowed us not only to survive, but actually to thrive. That's why we are so different than any other animal on the planet, but... What these scientists are asking, they're really asking at the global level when problems arise at the magnitude that we're talking about now, both socially and environmentally and everything else, they're really asking will monkey mind, will homo sapiens monkey mind at a certain point not be able to keep up that pace of being able to make positive adaptive decisions. And here's the reason they say why. And we see this in, in our politics. Mm-hmm. The danger that they see is that our monkey mind will get off on simply believing things that aren't true. Mm-hmm. And If we believe things that aren't true, and that could be fundamentalist religion on the one hand, or it could be political views that want to say global warming isn't real, climate change isn't real, rich, Porter will work, We are in a danger with monkey mind, because as you know, monkey mind loves slogans, it loves punditry, it loves things that are easy to... Sound bites, right. And these scientists are saying, my gosh, homo sapiens could run out of luck at the poker table of adaptation and change, because it simply will decide to follow stories that aren't true. And if it does that, it cannot make decisions... That are positive for the future. It will make the wrong decisions. And my gosh, if you even look at some of the things in this last election, whoa! Yes. If you went this way, one future. If you go this way, another future. But these are, uh, these are very
0: salient points, and you hit upon the areas, of course, of misinformation, disinformation. Some Absolutely. of it unconscious and unwitting, and some of it very conscious and very deliberate totally. to be astray toward yep. a certain uh, bias, certain uh, to a certain point of view, and series of set of values and decisions like vote, like votes. So your points are very well made, and along the same line, I actually would like to raise something that I've been sitting on here, Kurt which is when you look at the role that religions and, you know, actually much more interesting to me, spirituality can play in the upcoming interspiritual age, is these issues of, uh, that are so um, boggling, such as the patenting of life forms, Domain of biotechnology, the domain of geoengineering uh just today, I was listening to uh uh Gary Null speaking about um this whole domain of geoengineering and uh, this whole area where climate rainfall is being controlled scientifically and what we see as a superstorm sandy and it appears to be a natural occurrence what we really see is that there is so much monkeying around at the switches of dealing with vaporization vaporization hydrology um heating the planet um spraying you know 30 miles above in our atmosphere these these deadly, poisonous, toxic um, chemicals that have the ability to shift atmospheres, what, how do you begin to weigh in on an intelligent set of values? GMOs, for instance, genetically modified organisms, where the line between um, science and nature is actually blurring which is also tending to blur our moral consciousness.
1: No, you absolutely no, you really bring out actually two points that are at play here and one is a part of what makes uh this entire discussion difficult and even uh laying out so much data as we do in our book difficult and that is that there are a lot of sectors of world society where there is so much secrecy that you honestly cannot get this information. So For instance, when you're talking, as I get to do, and you do too, with a lot of other world leaders and movers and shakers, we're not sure how out of whack the situation really is. In other words, we're not sure how controlled is the financial establishment. We're not sure how controlled is the military-industrial-intelligence complex. We don't know. But all we do know is that in the areas of civil society – where we can make positive change towards structures that actually serve everyone's well-being, mm-hmm. we, have a moral, we have a moral and spiritual obligation to absolutely go ahead and try to build a world as if that were still possible. But I don't think any of us are not naive enough to say that it all might, it already might be too late. It might be too late with It might already change.
0: be too too what?
1: It's too late. late. It, it yeah. might be too messed up to change yes. or to yes. control the change. But we don't know that. So what one has to do in the meantime is work and this was a famous Harvard economist who just said this recently, we have to work as if we can change things. Yes. Because we actually have that artistic and moral obligation to to work as if we could make this positive change. And what's interesting is that even to have to say that, even in this discussion, yes demonstrates the urgency that yeah. we're at for civil society leadership to arise in science and in spirituality and in all of these sectors that could move the species at this time through this murky, murky quagmire and into the possibility of a different future. Now, that's not all that different. Let's say than when you factor together the Renaissance and the Black Death in the 1500s, Yes. Where 60 percent of the Western world had been annihilated, a, a positive future must have seemed impossible. Must have yes. seemed absolutely impossible. Yes. And yet, what emerged from that was an entirely different world. And and we really have to operate on on that assumption that our future is out there for us to build. But the answer to your deeper question is: Will this deep sense within us which has a moral compass based on the heart, which has really a compass that's so clearly based on the heart, which everyone could understand. All the people in the world have the same needs. To grow up in peace, to grow up in some kind of prosperity, to seek happiness, to have safety for your family, and a world in which you can can live with some well-being. Everybody has those same needs. There needs to be a sense of the moral obligation to that at street level, which could eclipse these other pathologies which are moving now. Yes. Have we seen that happen? Yes. We saw that happen when the Soviet Union fell apart and when the Berlin Wall came down. We, we You and I were just talking to some folks the other night that were in yes. Germany when the wall came down, and they said they never believed that they would ever see this. It was like impossible. Exactly. Impossible. Exactly. But they had live... From a place within them That knew that another possibility Was possible And I think that's where we're all at You know we're stuck with that It's either that or a negative future It's very existential Yes 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 exactly
0: And you know (laughs) It's really boggling to Just even grapple With the magnitudes As you were saying earlier Kurt, Of the issues that are Before us and you know They do say, if I could get um, theological for a moment, God never gives out more than his people can handle, Um, you know. And maybe that's true. I don't know. But I brought up these last points of this intercession between nature and scientific um, manipulation because, well, the work of Ray Kurzweil and the age of spiritual machines and the super even, being able to affect our hormonal balance and extend uh, longevity and make us into such robust kinds of human beings. It's actually extraordinary what's happening. So you ask yourself, what is essentially human and what is added unto that? makes us some kind of peculiar hybrid between a souped-up nature and our own human organism, you know? It's just one of the many questions that we have. And I think we are best off when we go back to the simplicity of the heart and the wisdom of the heart that we all can touch base with. We don't have to be literate. We don't have to know about how to use computers. We can think with wisdom from the heart. And that, I know, is something that in your book and in your life, you're reaching out to people to engage them on that level. And I think there's something very beautiful and very pure about that outreach, that call to this inner wisdom that you know and I know that we all have That we have to bank on as our highest level bank, so to speak, you know, to guide us through these incredibly rough waters. And then we have to match that wisdom with a world and a universe that's actually cyclical in nature, where there are ice ages, you know, where there are um, ages of great heating and expansion and contraction of our geological um, mass called Earth. You know, so no matter what, we've got, no pun intended, a shifting terrain with which we have to grapple. And I feel that you are bringing a tremendous amount of thoughtfulness and intelligence to the subject to help us to navigate this and I, I I really want to thank you for this, Kurt, because um the religions on one hand in today 's world almost look old fashioned you know when you start thinking about the cyber tech world, you know, and um on the other hand, billions of people are following the dogmas of these, and I think that an increasing number of people that you have sort of cited in your reference to the Arab Spring, and I love your reference to this notion of a Catholic Spring, um, that people are, it's dawning, that the wisdom that we're looking for isn't contained in an outer shell, but rather in an inner kernel, if you will. And um, that's going to make all the difference in the world.
1: Yeah, and that actually, if people ask then what is the coming inner spiritual age? it is simply the coming age in which that work would have actually gotten accomplished, that we would live in a world that's tending very clearly that direction in that direction that serves everyone. And in that artistic way, as opposed to tending toward the train wreck, which uh, would be so inevitable on, on the other side. And we see very clearly, and you just said it very well, these are the two directions that, that, are facing us very, very clearly. And what the book does is it traces out. It traces out what? All the trends, t r e n d s, yeah. all the trends, mm-hmm. the trends that are undeniable. And yeah. when you see all of these trends, then you say, okay, no doubt this is where this train is going and this is where this train is going. So then what choices do we make? And if if we have a positive future at every level, political, cultural, it's going to be because we choose the alternatives that are are tending in that, that positive that positive direction. And we show that that's very possible, because we show that that's what everybody wants. I mean, when you interview people yes. on the street, exactly. that is what they want. They don't want a disaster. No. Just like when you interview people on the street today, they don't want to go off the cliff. They say to the politicians, come on, you know?
0: Right, exactly. Talk to
1: each other. And come, you know, so it, it, there's nothing new in the difficulty and the urgency that we talk about at a global level in the coming inner spiritual age that so many people in their daily life on the planet right now are not living every day already.
0: Yes, yes, I, I agree with you. I mean, basically what you're saying is before we know what a future structure, a political structure will be of intelligent, Governance that's eco sensitive and um, anthropo-sensitive, if you will. Absolutely. <laughs> How do you like yeah, that word? Good word. Humane, humane. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before that, we should at least really engage our democracy in what uh, we really call a participatory democracy. And, you know, you and I both know we were uh, speaking with a young woman just the other night, Kurt, who works for Governor Cuomo. And Uh, I asked her point blank, what is the voice of the people in the inner halls of power in Albany? And she said, it's big. Keep calling, keep writing. And I think she would have also said, keep praying. So the idea is that we really do make an impact on the body politic. It doesn't look that way, but we actually do. And I guess, we have to guide these politicians who are spending our money and have them make decisions that are really serving the people.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, you know? and I think also it's. it's that next Say time that again. I,
0: it clipped too much.
1: Yeah, we're. I'm starting to see that we're losing signal again, and what we yeah. wouldn't give for an old landline, right? Yeah, really. Um, really. Let, I'm going to try the other phone.
0: Okay. Ah, uh, that's not working at all at for all. whatever peculiar reason. We'll we'll be wrapping up here. Kurt, but I think you should go back to your uh, cell phone if you could. It looks like I've lost you. Um so unfortunately the landline that you have or the cordless isn't working. So, if you're able to come back for a a conclusion, we've run over a little bit, but that's perfectly okay. Um, If you would like to come back and make your uh, final statement here, uh, you are totally welcome. But in the event that he has lost power, lost battery or signal, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Kurt Johnson. The co-author with Robert Ord of the coming interspiritual age—I was going to say interpersonal age—but they are related, folks, as I think you can know at this point. Ah, did I see you return, Kurt? Have you returned? Are you back?
1: I am back. Probably okay. just, uh, welcome. say goodbye, welcome. but we had a- We had another signal disruption, and so I was, as we were joking, maybe part of the future world is uh, just give me a good landline instead of all of these uh, signal towers. Exactly. (laughs) But we have a choice. We can have a choice. We can go backwards to landlines, or we can go forward to telepathy. Or we, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. Or we can have the, we can do them all and just use skillfully exactly. which works the best. Both yeah. ads, both
0: ads. So if you would make, uh, we've run over a little bit, but that's okay. I'd love for you to make your concluding statements of what it is you would like people to walk away with in their pocket and their
1: heart. Yeah, and 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 doing that, let me know uh, if you can hear me okay, because actually somebody's buzzing me on the other line, but I'm going to ignore it. Uh, it, it's pretty. It's pretty simple. Um, there are many, many trends now globally that are facing off between a worldview that would serve everyone's interest and a worldview that has the possibility to problem solve at a global level from multiple perspectives and multiple feedbacks as opposed to a world that would serve only a few at the expense of many, and in doing that only lead to further conflict, further resource competition, and and all of those negative things. We have a possibility across all of the fields, be it science, governance, sociology, religion, to choose ways of acting and ways of being and structures that are about serving everyone's interests. And that's the direction that is the only sustainable one. In other words, it is so simple at this point that the adaptive decision that will work for us is the one that actually serves everyone. So we summarize all of these trends in the coming interspiritual age. The major sub-theme is how the religions could make a turn to actually serve this positive future, uh, we point out how many leaders there are, and there are many, many, many across all the traditions that are already um, proffering this message. So that's the good news. We could actually say that our book is an optimist dream. Yes. So yes. If we, that's what I would really like to say. If you want to read a book that will give you authentic hope, as the leader of the United Religions Initiative said about this book, this is a book of authentic hope, um, that's what's really here, and that's why we wrote it, not just to sell, not to sell a book, but to share this vision that there is a possible hopeful outcome that's actually within our grasp. It really is within our grasp. So that would be it.
0: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Kurt, I want to just thank you again, Dr. Kurt Johnson, for all of the good work that you've been doing for so long, and I'm so glad that you had a chance to come and uh, share that with us. On a Better World. It's really truly my my heartfelt um, thanks to you for your my good pleasure. work for so long.
1: Totally. My pleasure. And it's a joy, of course, knowing you all the years that I have and working with you and to still be beating that drum together. So, <laughs> here yes. We are.
0: yes, indeed. Here we are and carrying on. So again, Kurt, thanks so much. And we'll be You're in welcome. touch very soon.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Right. That was Bye-bye. Kurt Johnson. Sure. Uh, The book, actually, uh, we have an Amazon link on our website uh, under Kurt Johnson, entomologist, author, scientist, and teacher. So you can click there if you want to order the book easily enough. And, again, it's been a pleasure. Listen, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, I just realized that you have to go under Follow Us in the right-hand column of the website where it says Newsletter. Um, missing one letter and that's where you sign up Um, it's no longer under newsletter at the top so just go there I know a lot of people have been wanting to sign up anyway this is Mitchell J. Rabin for Better World thanks so much for joining us I so appreciate your participating with your your rapt attention it's so valuable to us and uh, it makes what we do here so valuable so thanks again. Visit us, of course, at www.abetterworld.tv and tune in to our weekly TV show, too, which is every Tuesday night at 10.30. That'll be the way it is for the next few months, and then it will be changing, and, of course, I'll let you know when. But uh, we always have interesting shows there as well every week. You can listen to it, watch it from anywhere through that very same website. There is a link at the very top, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye-bye now.